Welcome everybody to our Behind the Fluff Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. We have got some fantastic resources to inspire you at www.internationalbrunch.com forward slash be inspired. Now today, I would like to welcome Juliet Harrison. Juliet is an industry senior publishing lead and someone that I really admire and work closely with as part of our voluntary work with the Alps Membership and Marketing Committee. Hello, Juliet. Hi, Lou. Lovely to see you. Lovely to have you here. Now, before we get started, I have one question for you. Something we ask everyone before we start is that we have a campaign called hashtag Intbunch Word of the Day. And we would love to know what is your favourite word and why? So I don't know what this necessarily says about me, but <laughs> my favourite word um, is a German word that you may have heard called Schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. And uh, the meaning is pleasure derived from someone else's misfortune. <laughs> the reason I like it is because it's such a human emotion to feel that. And um, I think particularly with the um, on sort of social media and the fact that people are always posting things to make other people feel bad, you know, it's a real raw human emotion to take pleasure out of other people people are doing so well and I just love the fact that there has been a word invented for it so whilst it's not from the English language I'm going to take ownership of it as something that we all secretly enjoy I think that's brilliant I mean I I do love a bit of car crash tv so that kind of stuff yeah definitely definitely resonates with me oh I'm really looking forward to this interview now (laughs) oh no sounds terrible to sit set the scene now (laughs) Okay, so first things first, um, we really want to know a bit more about you. So what's the best thing that you have discovered in this last funny old pandemic year, even longer than a year now, that we've been in? Um, I think the main thing, and this is probably true of a lot of people with young children, is that I can work really effectively in very, very short bursts. So um, I have, uh, just for a bit of background, I have um, four and now seven-year-old boys. So during the peak of the pandemic, they were three and five. So it was a very, very challenging time, but it showed me that actually I can be very, very focused and get a huge amount of work done in a very, very short amount of time. And and I think probably what a lot of businesses have also now started to realise is that the this standard working week from nine till five is not necessarily making the most productive use of people's time and people actually work better in different ways mm-hmm. um so I hope that as a result of that you know when I go back to the office that um they'll they'll remain that element of flexibility that it seems to be looking that way yeah. um, but I don't think actually working big chunks of time is is the most productive way that we can be and actually I think sitting down and doing a bit and taking a break is a much more effective way of working and actually gives you the the focus that you need yeah, absolutely. And taking breaks is so important. And it's too easy for us to sit here. And then a few hours later go, oh, I haven't even got up to get myself a drink or I haven't just, you know, got up to do anything, get some exercise. And I think a lot of people have suffered um, with that over the past year, just that working so much. And, you know, we've worked from home or remotely here at the International Bunch all of the time for the business. And I've been working remotely um, since 2012. And it's just it's just too easy to get stuck and just and you also tend to work more time because you're not commuting. So you're working more time somehow. Um, So, yeah, it's really, really important. Our health and especially our mental health over this. Yeah. 
Yeah, and actually, the, then the I think, I mean, it's useful that you can be flexible with your hours, and I think that's something that will will continue to be um, how people work. But then the boundaries of work and life can get blurred, can't they? And you don't ever really switch off. And so we actually recently got um, a puppy, which I never ever thought I would do, but. Um, actually the physical having to go out and take a dog for a walk has been really, really beneficial because it gets you, it forces you into that different headspace and you always come back feeling more positive. What puppy did you get? We got a little black Labrador called Mo. So not so little now, he's a giant now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely helps with um, kind of getting, getting that headspace that you need that otherwise you wouldn't necessarily give yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Our pets are wonderful things, aren't they? There are several people I know that have have acquired themselves pets when actually they have a really very busy professional life and used to travel a lot but now it's that readjusting and saying my maybe I don't need to do this or maybe I need to um, work out my balance as they say of my work and home life but as long as you can shut that computer down and walk away from it and actually have some time that's yeah hard it's the most and it makes it actually makes you more effective I think in the long run I think the longer you work without a break the less productive you are yeah or the quality of the work gets worse <laughs> no I think absolutely right absolutely right um so who inspires you uh, well that's kind of an ongoing theme here but I think probably at the moment it's people and particularly mums who have had to work and look after children <laughs> during lockdown um so you know I count myself in that group but I'm also aware that I have a husband that works part-time and is, is a, a huge help in terms of childcare. so I've had a lot of benefit as a result of that but mm. you know looking at the research the um, amount of redundancies and the, the dropout level of work um from women over the past 18 months has been much more proportionally higher than that for men um so it's a really really big problem and, and I think a lot of companies over the past few years have been looking at the gender pay gap as a really important thing but actually we've taken a huge step back and this is in the developed world if you think about the developing world um, there's much much bigger problems there um, I think the other issue is that women in my experience tend to um, take on the mental load of things and not necessarily they try and absorb and absorb and absorb without necessarily realizing that it's not good for them and yeah. so then you end up either getting ill or um, just suffering in silence. So I think, you know, we're coming out the end of it. And I think it has been um, useful in a lot of ways. It means you get to spend more time with your family. But it's not, you know, parents shouldn't. My, my view is that parents shouldn't be teaching their own children. The dynamic is all wrong and it just doesn't work. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, really in awe of particularly um, parents and single parents that have had to do it over this period and haven't had any kind of support layer. Yeah, the resilience is incredible. And I think we've all learned a lot from each other. I, I have to say that that first four months in the UK, when, when all the different nations in the UK went into that lockdown, I think that was probably one of, if not the, the most toughest mentally time of my life. I yeah. mean, it, I say to people, it nearly broke me. But I think if I was completely honest, it probably did break me. Yeah. But we just, but it's amazing how we just keep going. Um, if we can, we just keep going and we prioritize things and then we just deal with things later because we yeah. know that our children still need to be fed. Our partners still need to be happy, you know, just keep them <laughs> at that level so that you're yeah. just not tipping yourself over the edge. 
yeah so yeah absolutely completely appreciate that and um and completely agree with that as well um so when you were young I always when I say this question I think of like I instantly like put someone in some kind of like little outfit like a little superman outfit or wonder woman (laughs) or whatever um or little vet's outfit or but when you were young what did you want to be I always wanted to work in the theatre, actually. I did a theatre studies uh, A-level and um, I was really into performing arts and uh, singing as a child. And that was always the route I always thought I would go down. So I went to university and I did an English degree and then a film studies master's, which are, I guess, related to a point. But for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't come off. Probably I wasn't talented enough, but also um, I probably wasn't brave enough to pursue it. Um, but whenever I go to the theatre now, I still get a pang to think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be the people on that stage? So, yeah, that's uh, if I wasn't, I think if I wasn't doing academic publishing in an ideal world, that's uh, what I would love to have been doing. But you, you still can, you know, when your children get a bit older and you get that bit more time, you know, time's a wonderful thing if we ever get it back. So when you, get that you could start being you know join your local theatre club yeah well that's the plan actually there's lots of uh, amateur dramatic that goes on where I uh, where I live in Ilkley so I am planning to sign up um in the next couple of years so uh watch this space that might be oh, coming amazing. to the local theatre near you <laughs> yeah amazing yeah come to Swansea that'd be brilliant <laughs> when they all open up again normally oh god I just can't wait and I think that probably cinemas libraries theatres are going to see a real revival because we all really appreciate what we've lost and what we've not had for so long so hopefully there's going to be some amazing things coming out I think so since um lockdown east actually I've already been to the cinema twice so (laughs) I absolutely love it I'm not even sure in Wales if they're open or not (laughs) well it's a posh cinema where you can get a bottle of wine so even more reason to go I love it. Our our daughter's three, so trying to get her to watch a film for a concentrated amount of time is, is quite hard. We took her for a um, we did one where we took the our van and we did like a you know how they do in the US those big screens and you oh a drive through yeah yeah so we did like a drive through one and it was brilliant you know everything was bought to the to the um to the van and you could order on um on your phone and it was so easy it was so good and we watched Shrek and it was brilliant but she did get a bit bored part way through and tablet had to come out and you know yeah. we had to have lots of conversations so yeah it's about 45 that. minutes that's their cut-off point isn't it Before <laughs> you if, if that if you're lucky <laughs> <laughs> so um if you were to have dinner tonight with anybody in the world alive or dead who would it be um, so first of all, my um, my mum died a few years ago. She died in 2013 of um, breast cancer. So I was about 30 and um, it was a really, obviously a really challenging time. Um, and it was just before I had my first child. So she never got to meet my children. So partly I would invite my mum so I could see her again and I could introduce her to my lovely boys. Um, but in terms of famous people, um, I am obsessed with Stevie Wonder. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, as a child, um, my dad always had the, he had the Innovision soundtrack and always played it in the car on car journeys. And so we all listened to it. And I actually got to go and see him at Hyde Park in 2019, supported by Lionel Richie. So possibly the best day of my life. <laughs> um, so I'd love to actually meet him and have a conversation with him. So he'd be on the list. And 
um, actually for my first wedding anniversary, which I think is paper, my husband got me um, a poster of Stevie Wonder and Lionel Richie at the Grammys together, which I have framed <laughs> in the upstairs ball. That's, so that's the level of obsession that I have. Uh, and in addition to that, I think probably Louis Theroux, just because yeah. he's so interesting and he's just, he's been taken to the nation's heart, hasn't he? And just the amount of interesting experience uh, that he's had. I've also listened to some of his podcasts that he's done recently um, through his series. Um, he did one with um, John Ronson, which I thought was fantastic. So probably that would be a small but perfectly formed lineup. That would be quite what would your mum think of being sat with you know Stevie Wonder and, and all these other guys oh she'd have a great time I mean <laughs> I, I might even add Stephen Fry to the mix just for oh, a bit of yeah. as well oh. so yeah it would be we'd have great music as well wouldn't we so. oh, oh yeah. yeah excellent now that would be quite a table yeah. I want to join that table <laughs> absolutely you're invited and I can't believe that Lionel Richie was supporting Stevie Wonder I know. Yeah. I wonder how Lionel Richie felt about that, but I think that's the right order, isn't it? Well, he did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's talk about your career. Now, tell me about your career and how you got to where you are today. So I, I came to publishing, I guess, relatively late in terms of uh, a lot of people come out of university. So I joined uh, Emerald um, when I was uh, in, I think, when was it, 2008? I was 25. So I'd travelled the world before that and done kind of bits and bobs. But um, so I started at the, the entry level job. I was an assistant publisher and I worked my off. I became a publisher um, on journals. I was a commissioning editor for about five minutes on books. Um, <laughs> and then we restructured and I went back to being a publisher. And then um, the head of publishing took a punt on me and promoted me to an executive publisher. So I was managing um, quite a big team. Initially, it was the social sciences team. And then it was the business management and economics team. Um, and that was a team of publishers working globally. So I had a team out of Boston in the US. Um, in a variety of subjects and on a variety of content forms so books journals and cases kind of I, I knew what I was doing with journals I was confident in how the journals process managed on with books to a degree but I'd not really dug my toe into the teaching and learning space and also the cases role gives me an ability to dip my toe into the product management aspect of the role yeah. as well so I felt it was quite a, an interesting move yeah. Um, but um, I feel like I've had progression the whole time within that. So I don't feel that I've been static. You know, I've tried a lot of different things and I've developed a lot of different skill sets. I'm also on a number of different committees. So as you said, I'm on the Arts Membership Committee. And up until recently, I was on the STM Early Careers Publishers Committee, which I decided I was I could no longer consider myself early career. So, <laughs> so I stepped out from that. Um, but that's helped me to develop my networks beyond the organisation that I work at. So um, I think for that reason, I'm still quite varied in terms of the, the relationships that I have. But, you know, I think, yeah, there, there are pros and cons to being an organisation for a length of time. And of course, if you work at different organisations, you're going to have different experiences. But I'm sure if you met that 25 year old self back then now, and looked at the organization that you joined then, it's probably completely different to what you have now. Mm. You have. So That's you've cool. grown with an organization that in, in turn itself has also grown and you've moved between departments, which I thought, think is also really important. And you work with so many different people and yeah. we as individuals are so unique. 
no one can replicate the experiences that you as an individual have had mm. even if i'm in the same conversation uh, with someone with you we're both experiencing something different so we're all incredibly unique like that so i i wouldn't see that as a downfall and at the end of the day it's about the people and it's about the people that you have that join you in organizations so I think, you know, credit to you for managing to stay in an organisation through restructures. <laughs> I think that's a great thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, potentially. And, um, you know, it's always been pretty positive. And actually, two years of that, I was out on maternity leave. So there's that element of taking time out and then having to get back up to speed. That's always yeah. a challenge as well. But actually... The... <laughs> so what have you been most proud of in your career? it's to do with the um, relationships that I've made actually so I've talked about some of the committees that I've been on um, and particularly the early career publishers committee I'm still in contact with all of those um, the people that were on the committee when I was on them and actually you know people underestimate the value of the relationships and the friendships that you make when you are in the workplace you, you know you spend a huge proportion of your time at work and actually those friendships can become really really valuable to you and they become your allies for a period of time. So um, they remain really important to me. So there's people that I used to work with that I went to the cinema with on Monday, actually. Um, and I think the other thing is that um, you also don't necessarily realise the value of those relationships professionally until further down the line when you need to call on them. Yeah. So I think that's incredibly important. And then I'm also really proud of the progression that I've made when I joined publishing I hadn't I didn't have a publishing degree I was completely new to it and within a, a relatively short space of time I was kind of promoted and promoted and got to a relatively senior point mm. uh, and was managing people with a lot more experience than I have so mm. I think that's potentially down to the soft skills that I have I feel that I'm a good manager and that I understand um, and can support people in the way that they need to be supported and I think it's helped that I've managed people from um, different cultural backgrounds and different parts of the world um, because it requires a different approach. So those soft skills, I think, have, have served me quite well. And um, when you're new to a role, that's a really important part of embedding yourself within a team and getting people to like you, you know, which is yeah. professionally is quite important. And I think that's something that I'm quite good at. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like when we look at um, when we work together on the Outs Membership and Marketing Committee, you know, your experience and expertise is so incredibly valuable to us. Don't even go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to have such a mix and blend, and blend of different experience yeah. coming together. So, um, so thinking about what you've been most proud of, then what have you found most challenging? Um, so over, I mean, we talked a, a little bit about the, the past 18 months and how difficult those have been. We, you know, there was also, as you'll probably know, if you're having worked in the publishing industry, there's restructures happen quite consistently. And um, there was quite a big restructure that happened within our division uh, last year, which which impacted me. And it meant that this, I had to make this decision about what role I wanted to take. And uh, I guess professionally, it would have been considered a step down, but I took it as an opportunity to say, actually when I'm thinking about what professionally the next step is for me there's certain skills and experience that I don't have I've got a lot of experience about relationship management and stakeholder engagement and I'm I feel very confident in doing that portfolio management is also something that I consistently do but I don't have some of those more product management type skills and I'm not so familiar with this this part of the of the teaching and learning space so I took this role, but also thought, well, what else is it that I need to do to make myself uh, desirable? 
Yeah. So I'm now doing a um, degree in project management, um, which uh, with the APM. So I think by it's a four year course, but by um, sort of the middle of 2022, I'll be uh, qualified. Um, and I just think it means that whilst it may open doors in terms of project management specifically, what I found working in publishing is that most uh, projects that sit within a publishing company touch the publishing department in some way. And there's always a dearth of skills and experience in terms of having someone that can support on the management of those projects. And if you had someone that understands the workings of that division, but also can apply the principles of project management, I think that, that could become quite a compelling um, skill set. Um, so I'm hoping that will make me more desirable and it will open up more opportunities for me in the future um, so that I can continue to progress and develop. But it, it's not been easy. You know, you take these professional hits and it is difficult. And I think it's about what you do next and what you take from that and what opportunities you create. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, the project management side is transferable skills to lots yeah. of different departments. So I think it's an incredibly important skill set and it's also a very sustainable way of thinking and about how you can continue to bring value to your organization because projects will continually need to happen. Yeah. But you need to make sure that projects get finished and often projects just get stuck and it's having that ability and that expertise and that know-how to say right we've got this blocker now we need to remove that and we need to move this forward even though it may end up in a situation of saying this is not going to happen, this is not viable, you're making a decision about that project. So yeah, I think that's a really intelligent way of thinking about it. And that's me very excited that what in only, God, in only a year's time, you're going to be qualified. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be like a junior project management. So it, after four years, I'll be fully qualified, but enough to be able to start applying it, I think. And some of the feedback I've had is I think that's in the past, often companies bring in project managers externally yeah. and they, because of the, some of the industries that project managers work within, often they want to very rigidly apply the principles. And actually within a publishing company in particular, you have to be a bit more flexible about uh, understanding what aspects you need to use and what aspects aren't necessarily going to work yeah. uh, within that industry. So I think having, being able to use both skill sets is, is going to be incredibly important. But yeah, yeah balancing um, a degree in a full-time job and two young kids is, is proving interesting. <laughs> and, a, and husband. And husband, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. very much so. I'm Very in the middle of my time. second assignment. It's going okay, but it's financial modelling, so it's not my strong suit necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy you at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what is the when we talk about you know the fact that you're doing the project management side and um, everything else that you've done, and actually now you've moved um, to a different type of role and you're in a different sphere as well. Um, what is your ultimate career goal? So it's interesting. I think up until um, more recently, or maybe up until I had children, I was I was very um, ambitious, and I guess I was kind of saying, "What's the next step? Where do I need to go?" And it was always kind of head of publishing type position. And actually, I think the last uh, eighteen months have given me a lot of time to reassess and actually what I want to ensure that whatever I'm doing, my ultimate career goal is that I'm enjoying it. And I think you start to become more confident in your abilities and understand uh, what you're good at and I think I want to be able to just co to continue to do what I'm good at I'm, I'm very good at engaging with people and working with people which is why I like 
being I'm working in publishing because it's talking to people all the time and learning about different disciplines um but I think actually it's very very hard to find a job that you enjoy um and not get caught up too much in the internal politics and find that you're actually doing all of the stuff that you don't really enjoy and have very little time to, to focus on what you do enjoy um and I'm always quite um inspired by my dad who's a composer and for him work is not work it's just his hobby and it's doing doing what he loves so I think it's it's developed it's continuing to develop myself to make sure that I'm employable and I'm learning all the time but also saying if I take a role and I'm not enjoying it maybe it's not applying the skills that I most readily have and I want to be able to use so it's, it's actually quite a big ask I don't think anyone enjoys their job all the time but I think I've been quite lucky in my professional career so far that on the whole I have enjoyed it it's an interesting industry to work in and there's lots of really clever people with lots of interesting ideas and because it's changing all the time you, you, you know <laughs> you don't have the ability to to get stuck in a rut because you're having to adapt consistently yeah it's an ever-changing landscape oh, yeah Absolutely. And, uh, and then something else comes in and that was, you know, low priority and suddenly becomes a massive priority and changes the whole landscape, like open research, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's open access has always been around in some oh. form or another, you know, for years and years and years and years. But open research is kind of a wider adoption of it, the acceleration of it. Um, you know, it's much more prominent. So and there's yeah. so opposing views isn't there as well so navigating the landscape and, and also just staying up to speed with the industry developments is a is a job in of itself actually so finding the time to carve out that time to do that work is yeah. is really important yeah it's really hard as well um mm. because there's so much noise out there and it's trying to find the right channels that you're going to get the right information and also you're not just going to have someone's opinion you're actually yeah. going to read some authoritative news and you know, we've had some recent changes in the industry that I think what's been really interesting is when people are quite isolated in terms of the team that they work in and they don't have enough knowledge um, or the broader knowledge about what the whole of the ecosystem of academic publishing or scholarly comms is from the libraries and the service providers between publishers and libraries and then the publishers themselves and the societies and all the various different stakeholders, it was like the acquisition of um, ProQuest by yeah. Clarendlate Analytics and um, you know when I spoke to some people who were very focused in the publishing sphere because that's where they spend their time that when I talked to them about oh you know did you hear about this and they didn't know so much about ProQuest they kind of heard of them but didn't know so much about them and they were like oh millions surely not billions and I'm like no no billions you know it's <laughs> because they just didn't know how big that these other types of organizations are that are also in the sphere. So it's such a complex and huge industry. Yeah, and I imagine that um, a big part of your day-to-day -day role is just trying to stay up to speed with all of that. Yeah, um, so it's too hard. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I just bombarded with information all the time. And then loads of marketing information. And yeah. you know, this is what's happening in marketing. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, and actually, I find Twitter to be a really useful resource for that to kind of just pull out the people that I um, follow that I particularly trust in terms of what yeah. they're directing me to. That that can help to calm the noise down, but also then you get sucked into a Twitter hole, don't you? <laughs> you do, you do, you do. 
but the interesting thing is because you and I had done some research about this the other day with some um, colleagues on the committees and and it was talking about where people are discovering industry news and I think I had said oh is there any kind of hashtag that anyone's using and everyone's like no not really and like you said it was about following specific people that there's trust in yeah. and in terms of what they're going to be retweeting what they're going to be talking about and so I think that that's really important. Actually, trust is incredibly important yeah. in the industry and often something that I think is sidelined. And um, I hope that now that we've had this eye-opening experience of a pandemic for the past 15, 18 months, however long it's been, that um, organisations and the industry are going to apply more trust to their colleagues yeah. and to the employees that they have. And I, and I can see that's definitely happened it's been quite eye-opening for um for many. Well, I think for all of us, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. In a pandemic before, well, we haven't because yeah. we went around with a bubonic plague and. Oh um, no! And actually, I had an interesting conversation with um someone earlier this week from the Arts Committee, actually, who was we were saying that in the past, if you wanted to do, I guess, what we would categorise as, as deep thinking. You'd, you'd work from home <laughs> and now we all need to go to one office <laughs> and I can do that because suddenly our home life is just so impinged on everything else so um, I think that balance of work working from an office and working from home is going to be increasingly important but I still think the the social aspect of, of work is is what we're missing and mm -hmm. I am finding with online conferences it's this it's having the the social that it, it just doesn't work remotely and you know you find out some of the most interesting information at the pub after a conference or during a conference dinner don't you and oh yeah in the that. bar yeah absolutely after a few drinks oh my god have you heard this <laughs> yeah. so i had to do that and you know i had to do that um last week or the week before i think it was and i literally said to a couple of people right we've got to have a chat and I said to them, I have no idea. My head's been down, you know, getting on with some white papers and things. I've got no idea what the what the gossip is. Tell me some gossip. And they're like, oh, <laughs> let me tell you. And I'm like, this is what I miss from conferences. Where's yeah. all the gossip? You just need, and just that's how the relationships really develop, isn't it? And actually, oh, even yeah. when you're doing things like commissioning, commissioning remotely is tricky as well yeah. because you can't develop that rapport with people in the same way. So I think everything will. Have its you know there'll be a hybrid approach to a degree but there's still going to be that need for face-to-face -face interaction that will never go away and I miss going to London as well so I'm hoping that I'll have the opportunity yeah. to start doing that again yeah me too me too even if we have to go on with masks on I don't really care I just I literally do that I just can't wait till we have our first face-to-face -face conference whatever that is I know. Everyone's going to just be so well, either really excited or just really, really anxious, and not none of us will know how to behave. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just going to go out in the evening. We're all going to get, you know, very drunk because we're not used to alcohol as much yeah. as well. Maybe some people are because a lot of people have drunk more at home. Yeah, but we're all just going to get very, very drunk. There's going to be lots of great gossip. And then the next morning when they have like the startup session, no one will be there because we'll all be very hungover and be thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get to that first session. So <laughs> yeah. and everyone will stink of alcohol and be coming out their pores. It'll be, oh yeah, I miss those. I'll be things. going, oh Juliet, did you hear what happened last night? <laughs> exactly, we'll get there. We'll get there. we'll get there, yeah, we'll get there. Oh dear. So, um, oh, brilliant. So um, if you weren't doing the role that you're doing now, and money was absolutely no object what would you be 
So um, I mentioned before I started working in publishing, my husband and I travelled, so we, we love travelling, but um, something that we continually returned to when we were travelling was the idea of opening a B&B &B together. Um, I think I would probably be front of house because my husband's not necessarily as much of a people person. <laughs> and he could be doing kind of the kind of behind the scenes stuff, but we always right thought- the back in the kitchen, not seeing anybody. <laughs> yeah, making the beds. No, probably not. Um, but we always thought that we would potentially work quite well together as a team. And um, I know that's something that's really, really hard to get right. And you don't actually make a lot of money, but that was always kind of a pipe dream for us. So maybe in the future. Mm. And I think generally, probably everyone says this, but just traveling. And, you know, I think what we've felt, felt really sad about over the past 18 months is that we've not been able to take our children abroad. And I think yeah. a big part of what shaped us um, to be the people that we are is that our parents took us abroad a lot as children. And, you know, it challenges you and it puts you in difficult situations and it, it helps you to develop. And apparently part of the reason that as an adult, time passes so quickly is because you're doing the same things all the time and actually you, know, you don't have many new experiences and so the passage of time seems to pass more quickly um, and so for children because they're constantly having new experiences they perceive time to be longer yeah. um, and so I think that's incredibly important and um, I hope that look, I'll get to a point where I'm retired and I can do more of that I can travel and um just have new experiences because you get you, you get to a point in your life when I think you can get frightened of new experiences and I think it's always important to be pushing yourself out of that comfort zone but saying I'm not sure if practically I could work with my husband 100% of the time so maybe that won't happen <laughs> maybe, you know you maybe you could buy some lovely property with self-catering you know um cottages and he does that you do the front of house but still working but you do like you know speaking to people and then yes. and then and then yeah and he can just yeah 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 I think in couples who work together I have a lot of respect for I'm not sure it's necessarily healthy for your relationship but I know lots of people do it so we could give it a go it's got to be right for different people hasn't it we're all yeah. we're all different individuals and our relationships are also you know um function in different ways so absolutely. yeah and, and lockdown has really tested those relationships actually it, so yeah. if, we're, if we're still together now we can get through anything <laughs> I said to, I said to my husband the other day because at one point I just wanted him to leave and <laughs> just to have a bit of a break from him I'm like could you just go away for a few days but that was when it was like no one's going anywhere and it's like oh my gosh we just need no. a break from each other um and he felt the same so yeah. um yeah it's a uh, it's a, uh, I said to him, you know, if we can get through a pandemic, uh, to be honest, I think we can get through anything. So yeah, it'll be all right. Because <laughs> yeah, you'll know what it's like with young children. You never get any time to yourself and you need that headspace. You need the silence and not, yeah. and not having that because we're all cooped up together has been really hard. <laughs> really hard. Do you know, we've, we've um, just got a Peloton. And uh, I got on it last night for my first proper exercise. And in fact, there is an industry group who, who um, really? yeah, 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 who are on Peloton. Apparently, I haven't sorted that out yet. But I got on it last night. And then my three-year-old was, I don't know, she, for some reason, she's not dependent on me at all. But she started crying about something. And I was trying to focus on this woman shouting at me on the screen. <laughs> And I found it really distressing. And I was just like, I just want to be able to do some exercise on my own. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> yeah. Dave, sort Bobby out. God, Dave, 
get a dog. Yeah, I've got two. Oh, yeah, and two cats, and a snake, and six chickens, and some fish. I don't think we need anything else. Good. Don't make it easy. We'll be like, bye. Just say Juliet made me do it. Yeah, exactly. I'll blame it all on you. Who's Juliet, mate? No, that's it. You see. So it's funny though when you talk about new challenges when you're older. Actually, it's really interesting because do you have well when we used to be in the car a lot going to places whether it's commuting whatever you know when you used to get somewhere a journey that you might do a lot and then you suddenly go oh how did I get here you know because you've been off in your own head and it's like you say you know you're so used to doing it um but I think and I hope the pandemic has taught people because it's a bit like when I've faced redundancy and been made redundant twice is that actually opportunities come up and you shouldn't be shy and you shouldn't be scared and you realize well, you know, I can do these things. Mm. And so there are opportunities out there. And so when people say to me things like Hannah Baldwin, who's done this Inspiring mm. the Next EMO podcast, um, she had said, oh, well, I'm seeing, um, I would like to do, uh, I would like to do, um, open up a uh, deli. But, um, you know, that's something that she would love to do. Or she'd like to go to South of France and she'd like to have, you know, look after lots of dogs and things. And a lot of people think, well, because I'm at a certain age, I can't do that. And I say to people, well, you know what? My mother was in her, I think she was in her 40s or early 50s. And she um, retrained as a solicitor from being an interior designer. And she um, had to obviously then try and get um, employment with a solicitors. And um, she was up against people who just left university. Yeah. But she did. And, you know, she became a solicitor and now she's a retired solicitor and she did it later on in life. So I think, you know, the world is your oyster and you can. Absolutely. And I hope the pandemic's taught us that as well. Yeah. And I, I went to a conference a while back. I can't I can't remember which conference it was, but there was a really brilliant keynote speaker who said, when you think about um, the passage of life, you know, you see education just at this point at the beginning. Yeah. And then you have work and then you retire. And actually, education should be peppered throughout your professional career. You should you yeah. should always take breaks to go back into education. And I think that's actually it's really important as an adult to continuously be learning. Why should you just stop yeah. when you get to eighteen? So yeah. I think that's um, it's really encouraging that you. So the the degree I'm doing is through the government um, apprenticeship scheme, so that companies, yeah. if they can support their staff to do training in the workplace, it's only going to be a benefit to the organisation. Actually. Yeah absolutely absolutely agree with that I was an appalling student I was never really yeah yeah I was just I was I was living in Malta enjoying life very much (laughs) with my mother and my stepfather out of the country a lot so I was having a ball Um, and uh but I as I got older and I went to university without a levels um managed to get in but I really appreciate um that sentiment that you said there around education and I certainly got better with education as I got older and yeah. I've um, been professionally qualified in other different areas and I I've really enjoyed that but I think it also took me to have a specific mental attitude to that and really exactly know the value of it but also apply your own experiences to some of the things that you're being taught and I'm dyslexic and I think that my dyslexia held me back when I was younger I'm really sorry if you can hear this noise every now and again one of my chickens has just laid an egg and she's like <laughs> I've laid an egg I've laid an egg I've laid an egg <laughs> like, um so I'm sure that people will hear it in the recording 
um, yeah, so absolutely, absolutely agree with that sentiment yeah, about education. Yeah. And actually, my um, my dad said that he, it's a story that he always tells that when I was at university, I came back after the first term and said, um, oh, university's been, it's been really hard. I've been really busy recently. So I've had to cut my clubbing back to four nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm probably more applied now than I was at university. So, you know, I think actually you're probably a better student as an adult because you're, you're used to applying yourself for set amounts of time. And actually, when you get, get to 18 and go to university, that's not necessarily the, at the forefront of your mind. No, it's like when they when you're at union, they say to you, oh, you wait, you wait. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's really hard, you know? And then, yeah. and then you go into the working world and then you do education as well as working. Oh, and yeah. then you're like, oh, yeah. On. Oh, what was I for those days? Yeah. Four nights of clubbing. Oh. <laughs> so which now I say this about three inspiring books are your must read and why but you may not read professional books because some of the people that we interview don't and they prefer to talk about um, books that they like reading that aren't professional or even blogs or podcasts that they um, are into so yeah I'm not actually going to talk about professional books it's just books that I've um, read over the course of my life that have had an impact on me yeah. um, so the first is a book called The Secret History by Donna Tart, um, which I read in my I think my third year of university um, and it's about a group of friends who meet at university so it was very relevant to me at that time and they are um, they're at a university a bit like Oxford or Cambridge and they're studying Greek mythology and something terrible happens an incident happens and it's about how they react to that but it was just so significant for me because I remember reading it when um we were visiting some friends in Paris um during the university holiday and my my partner and our husband kept saying we're in Paris can we go and experience Paris and I just could not put this book down um and I think it was just a it got me at the right time it was sort of a significant point in my life so I'd really recommend that and Donna Tart is a wonderful writer mm -hmm. um the next one is one I've read more recently and um it's by an author I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly called Hanya Yanagihara it's called A Little Life um and again it's about four friends who meet in college and are friends then throughout their life um but they all experience uh, trauma and it's about how they respond to trauma. And I don't know whether that's that's potentially a theme in terms of the types of books that I'm interested in reading because um, the other two which are on a theme, there's one called High Sobriety by Alice King. Um, and it's she was a, um, a writer and a wine critic and it's about her battles with alcoholism. And there's one called A Million Little Pieces by James Frey. And again, it's about um, his recovery from addiction. And I think I find those types of books very interesting because I think we're potentially all on the precipice. Everyone has elements of addiction in their personality, whether it's to yeah. alcohol or to food. And um, I'm always interested in why some people can't get on top of it and whether it's related to trauma in their life or whether it's just a personality type. And I think society is quite um, condemning of people with addiction problems in saying it's something that you can control. It's in your gift. It's your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's always the case. Um, if you think about the number of people from different backgrounds and different uh, ethnic groups who struggle with addiction problems. So I always find it interesting to read about the different experiences that people have had. Um, so I'd really recommend both of those books that are kind of particularly on people's relationship with addiction. 
And actually, in my own experience, you know, through lockdown, I, I turn to a glass of wine or a, a beer if I've had a stressful day. Most and you can did. see how it becomes, how it's insidious and it can start to just become increasingly more and more a part of your life. So um, I think it's really important for people to understand more about that. It becomes very habitual. It does, yeah. And it's just how you deal with stress. And there's a programme I used to watch called um, Fresh Meat about students at university. And um, someone um, said that they didn't drink. And one of them said, well, what do you do if you're happy or if you're sad or if you're stressed or if you're angry? <laughs> it was just exactly. kind of the British reaction to yeah, anything. Yeah. To drink, isn't it? It's like, I think when years ago when I used to smoke, it's, you know, if I was stressed, I'd, I'd instantly have a cigarette. Um, and uh, it, yeah, you do you do depend on certain things because of what specific emotion that you're feeling at the time, and you do associate that behaviour with that emotion. Yeah, um, and yeah, addictions are very very interesting area, and I think you're absolutely right. It's a bit like um, mental health as well in the respect that I think until we had the pandemic mental health was being talked about but not as openly as it is now and also appreciated because I think so many people have experienced mental health more significantly than they ever have before or even didn't think that they had experienced it and have now mm. and realize oh right it's like that amplified by 10 mm. yeah can completely understand how you can't snap yourself out of that so I think yeah. that we're much more empathetic now as well. No, those sound like brilliant books. Yeah, no, they're all great. And um, and I guess I guess the the other benefit of lockdown is that probably lots of people who are naturally introverted and, and didn't really enjoy going into the office have probably actually really welcomed the change. I know my sister yes. is um is is not particularly um outgoing and she's not uh, she's not an extrovert by any means and so she's having that peace and that kind of comfort area for her has been really important so oh, yeah. it, there's been a huge benefit for lots of people in terms of the mental health as well of, as well as those who struggled yeah. with that thing absolutely right some people I've spoken to have said to me I've loved it yeah <laughs> I oh, haven't God. had to mix with people um everything's been easily accessible online I've had stuff delivered um, it's been really great. It's just been my partner and I, and um, you know, we've got everything at home. Yeah, great. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> I can't. I can't How yeah. the other half live? Lucky exactly. you. It's crazy. At, isn't least, it? at least someone had a good time. <laughs> it's like you said about how people different experience things in really, really different ways. The same experience can be completely different for two people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you never know what's going on in our heads at that because that little voice that's talking to like me right now, you can't hear that voice. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your most favorite, um, your most favorite book or podcast or blog? Um, so one that I used to listen to a lot, I haven't for some time because of children, you know, but um, I used to love one called This American Life, um, which is quite a long-standing podcast. I think it's been going for about 20 years, wow. but it's just about um, stories of people uh, based in America and it's always tends to be on a theme. But I always I'm quite drawn to um, stories that are about real life. I'm, I'm not someone that's quite so much into non-fiction I you know I enjoy sorry that is non-fiction but you know historical yeah. books or it's about the experiences of people and I think that's what I enjoy um in terms of films and television programs as well I, I watched a great film called A Marriage Story um I think last year that was just about the, the breakdown of a marriage yeah. and there's so much um 
trauma and there's so much emotion in people's day-to-day lives and this is uh, just a way of experiencing that in a short chunk and the journalist who does a This American Life he interviews the people and um, who talk about their own experiences it's so it's from from their own mouth essentially rather than it being reworked so it's quite a simple idea but um, a lovely podcast if um, people haven't listened to it. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. So everything that um, Juliet's talking about, we are going to be making sure that there's a link included um, so everyone will be able to link out to that. But no, I hadn't heard of that one. That sounds a really good one. I think the great thing about doing these interviews is I have discovered some incredible podcasts and books and Mm. different places to go and resources to go. Um, so selfishly for me it's been really <laughs> well and actually there's one that's just been launched and I haven't had a chance to listen yet but I'm very excited so it's Grace Dent who's the Guardian food writer oh yeah just inter- interviewing people about the food that they eat but the sort of the comfort food that they eat because yes. I think that does say a lot about um, people doesn't it what they yeah. eat in the privacy of their own home rather than yeah. in a posh restaurant so that's next on my list <laughs> she's been doing a few um uh, programs recently that have really humanized her a lot more and to mm. begin to see her more as a person I think I watched her on Mastermind the other day and um, yeah she's really fascinating and uh, and I yeah she just became a bit more human to me yeah like yeah she's and the she's picture very the, funny the picture advertising the podcast is her in a bath of chips and gravy so a woman <laughs> after my own heart <laughs> very Yorkshire love it so if you could travel back in a time machine and tell your early career self anything, any piece of advice or just anything, what would it be? It, it would just be just to be more confident in your voice and what you have to say. Um, you know, don't question your ability so much and maybe take more risks. I mm. think uh, traditionally, and this this is probably a generalisation, but I think traditionally boys are kind of praised and told to speak out and girls are often told it's more about pleasing people and not necessarily having a voice in quite the same way and I think that translates professionally and that you come into the workplace as a woman and you're you're not as confident and you're nervous about saying the wrong thing or how you might be perceived and I I wish that I just cared about that a bit less and you know and just said what I thought because if it's the wrong thing it doesn't matter you know (laughs) just it's just a learning and, and what I do now um professionally is regardless of whether or think I think a question is stupid I ask it anyway and I yeah. might caveat by saying this might be a stupid question but can you explain this more and but that comes with um experience and it comes with confidence and it, you can't you know you have to do something for a certain amount of time to gain that confidence but just not to worry so much about saying the wrong thing, I think. Yeah, I think that's really, really key, solid advice. The fact mm-hmm. of asking questions, a question, especially when you don't understand something, ask the question and don't worry if you feel like you're going to be stupid because I bet there's someone else there who wants to ask that question who also didn't understand. And sometimes it's to do with people's delivery. And mm-hmm. in their head, they'll be like, yeah, everyone understood this. But it's like, well, actually, no, I didn't. And like when I mentioned earlier about myself being dyslexic, if my dyslexia is playing havoc with me and I'm like, I didn't quite get that. Do you know what? I'm just going to ask the question because I want to walk away from this and get it because I want that person to know that I'm going to get on and do it and understand what I'm doing. So, yeah. And it shows that you're engaged as well. If yeah. you're asking a question, it means you're trying to get the information that you need. But um, but it's hard. You can't force that. And I understand there's someone that's new to an industry and new to a job it's not easy to put yourself yeah. out there and do that but yeah I think that's that's something that 
I really pride myself on doing now, just asking the stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an absolutely brilliant piece of advice. And funnily enough, a lot of these interviews that we've done, I feel like most people have said that if they went back to talk to their early career self, it would be confidence. Yeah. Which, which says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Well, I'm slightly embarrassed about this one. <laughs> I, um, so I get the Guardian weekend and they have a um, the weekend magazine and every week they have an interview with like um, a famous actor or a sports person. And I think I read one a few years ago that was with a very, very established academic. And it was someone like Jermaine Greer. And they asked a very, very similar question. And it's one that stuck with me and I've taken to. <laughs> it is to, to moisturise your neck. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yes, as a woman, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I think I think that is very sage advice. I think the other thing, and none of this is, is helpful professional advice, is to moisturise your neck. And always, if you're buying a dress, buy a dress with pockets. Not having pockets in your dress is an absolute nightmare. All dresses should be made with pockets. So <laughs> they would be my two. Unless you've got big hips like me, and then you're just accentuating those hips even more. But where do you put all your things, you know, in the summer if you don't have a bag? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just have a bag. Oh, or yeah. Just put it in my hand. So, yes, of course, it would be. Yeah, I do wear a lot of maxi dresses. I wear a lot of dresses without pockets. And it is it is um, annoying, but, you know, I, I just give them to my husband. Oh, <laughs> I shove things in his pockets and he's just like balked out. I'm like, have a nice husband. <laughs> He'll take your things for you. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that's probably not the most sage advice you've had on this podcast, but I still think it's sad. I think it's I think it's very important advice, <laughs> to be fair. Absolutely. Um, so um, what's the number one tip that you would say for anyone that's working in marketing? Because obviously you work with marketers and have worked with marketers for years. So what do you think? And from being on um, your side of the um, industry, would you say is your number one tip? So I think this relates to um, probably one of the previous um, discussion topics we've had earlier today. But I think it is about really holding on to your networks. I think what I found is having been at, at the same company for quite a period of time, I've had lots of colleagues that have left or been made redundant. Yeah. And in the vast majority of cases, when they've gone on to take another job, it's been through the networks that they've developed in their previous roles. It's not been through the standard application process. Yeah. Um, I remember I met, um, there was a, an assistant publisher that worked at Emerald a long time ago who worked at Wimbledon before. And I said, how did you get a job working at Wimbledon? She said, nepotism, <laughs> I think. It is actually your networks are as much as important as your skills. And so nurture those networks. And actually, um, if you're ever leaving a job, uh, make sure you, you think about the relationships that you have beyond your immediate roles. You know, people that you've just had good rapport with. Yeah. Maybe certainly even it could be academics that work at different institutions because you don't know when opportunities are going to arise. So yeah. I think that that's relevant for any industry really um and that's something that I've tried to ensure I do more of actually over the past few years absolutely and like you know you can do a post on LinkedIn for example and say hey I'm looking for work and whatever but people are only going to see that if they're looking at that moment yeah or if someone that they know likes it so you'll probably find the majority of people aren't going to see that and absolutely I um the one of the times I was made redundant I reached out to my network and just said blah 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 and I got and I picked up some maternity cover and uh and that you know set me up for building the business 
And so that was hugely beneficial. And just don't be shy about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you don't know if you don't ask, do you? And people aren't generally offended by these things, but it may be that they have an opportunity coming up or that they wouldn't have considered you for had you not approached them. So I think that's, yeah, it's incredibly important and important to develop your networks for the same reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing what gossip you get. Yeah, exactly. So join committees. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go to conference dinners. Go to the pub. Go to the the conference quiz at Alps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Be on the right table for that. That's my advice. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't matter if you don't win. Just be there with the right people. Yeah. Um, So what do you miss most since we've had the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, So it's two things, really. The first is my sister she um she lives in Newcastle which is about two hours away so Mm. not massively close but I think before the pandemic we we were quite close in age and we were seeing each other every two or three months she also had a baby during the pandemic and I've only met him twice so Mm. that's been quite hard but we've started to be able to see each other a little bit more and the second and I was really surprised by this when I thought about it but it's my commute and I think we talked about this um need for headspace and yeah. I think what I didn't realise is on my, it's a kind of a 20 minute commute, it's not very long, but my commute to work each day was just time for me, yeah. where I might not even put the radio on, I just have that piece to get myself set up for the day. And I've probably replaced that with the dog walks to a degree, but um, not having that time carved out for yourself, I think you, if you don't have it for whatever reason, you don't use it or, you, yeah. you know, it's so... Yeah, about 20 minutes either side of work each day. That's what I'm really looking forward to when I go back to the office. <laughs> yeah, can completely resonate with me, that does. Um, absolutely, it's, we don't often prioritise prioritize ourselves enough to give ourselves that headspace. And, um, you know, even if it is just whacking on the radio, whacking the volume up and, you know, having the same type of music that you just love and it sets yeah. you up for the day and you're just like, it's your like, Whoa! you know yeah I'm horrendous at singing like the I listen to it on the way as well you know something just exactly control over what it is that you're doing you're listening to yeah Yeah. someone changing the channel I want to listen to it you're like no yeah so anything that you want to ask me I was just interested in um, what the biggest professional risk that you've taken is, because I think partly because you, um, because of the nature of the role that you have, um, and probably because maybe one of my regrets is I haven't taken as many risks as I would like in my professional career. So it's something that I would like to be more brave about. Well, you certainly can do because you know <laughs> you're still young. <laughs> There's plenty of risks that you can yeah. take. I'm sure. I think for me, um, it was going out on my own. So having been made redundant twice and been in redundancy three times, funny enough, um, to become a consultant, it was petrifying and thinking, how am I going to get enough money in? How am I going to do this? Do I have the right network? Doubting myself, doubting my experience, doubting so many things, but saying, I've got to do this. I've got to try it because I'm just a bit bored of being made redundant now. <laughs> and uh, and I've got to try this and see if it works. And do you know what? If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'll just go and work for someone. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing the consultancy into a small company and then employing people at the beginning of last year, because then you become accountable for other people, not just your clients, but for making sure that your your staff and your team have got, you know, wages and are looked after and all that kind of stuff. And you have to wear so many hats 
and you really begin to appreciate the different roles in an organization. And even though I've always appreciated my colleagues, I now have a huge amount of respect for so many different roles, for HR, for IT, for admin, just, you know, all those different roles and think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky. Yeah. <laughs> and logistically, I guess the time it takes to, to manage all of that as well, when you've got yeah. um, children oh, yeah. as well. My husband hates the fact that I, I work loads and actually I, um, we've been um, recruiting a couple of um, team members and I, um, I'm notoriously bad for working at night sometimes because that's oh, when I'm doing my, yeah, that's when I'm doing like my admin and invoicing and stuff. And so I sent, um, I sent someone an email on LinkedIn to say, you know, thanks so much for your application. Um, we'd love you to complete our assessment. And I got a response back saying, um, quite frankly, I'm really surprised that you're sending me an email at 1030 at night. And had you read my CV and my disclaimer, you'd know that um, I, I, uh, don't do unpaid assessments and it was really quite cutting and I and then, and then and then he blocked me and, really? and I was so taken aback and I was I felt I, my husband said to me well you are sending him an email at you know or LinkedIn message at 10 30 at night like, he doesn't have to respond to it though oh I know and I'm like we're the international bunch I work with people all over the world in different time zones so you know I was like well you know clearly it wasn't the right fit for us but <laughs> but to get for one role to get nearly 200 applications wow. um fortunately to have a question that um, uh, qualified some people and didn't others, which was, do you, can you work in the UK? That really helped to thin that down. But then to go through and individually send those people that weren't the right fit, um, who'd gone past that assess that, that um, question, to send them an individual email to say, so sorry, you know, um, you haven't been successful at this time. You know, that was quite a thing, but I felt yeah. determined that it was important to do that because it's quite soul destroying when you work, when you're recruit, um, when you're going and applying for roles and you get no response. Yeah, and I felt it was yes. really important to do that. So when he did that to me and he'd been successful, I was just like, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's really taking me aback. And we only checked the CVs to check the experience. I didn't go through and check people's hobbies and their disclaimer no, yeah. because we'd gone through, I don't know, 50, 100 applications. And that would have been a second interview thing. So for me, it was, it really affected me. Yeah. Don't be so stupid. It's like, well, you know, it does. But that wasn't yeah. the biggest professional risk. That was, you know, becoming a consultant. And then. Have you been able to dele start delegating more of the work now that you've got? Oh, yeah. yeah. Behind you. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, refine and find out what are the key roles that we need for our client yeah. base. Yeah. We have over 60 freelancers now with specialist skill sets which is fantastic. So they help us on various different projects, but also it has allowed me to say, what is it that I really want to do and that I really want to focus on? So I can focus on the more strategic side, the yeah. research, the white papers, stuff like that, because I love interviewing people. Whereas I've now got Megan, who used to work at, yeah. as I mentioned, um, used to work where you work and, and she looks after the content side and we're building up our team. So yeah, that's, but I still have to do the admin and payroll and all that kind of stuff. So oh, but it keeps me great. Worth the risk, obviously, though. I think that's what yeah, I take. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. Someone would have to offer me a huge amount of money <laughs> to go back to work client side. Um, a huge amount of money. And then someone's going to have to run the international bunch. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the other thing I just wanted to ask, because I'm always interested, is what you're watching on streaming services right now. So... I um I like 
oddly anything zombie viking oh yeah yeah crime drama related so i had to write myself some little notes here but occasionally and i think it's because of this pandemic i used to not like um what do they chick flicks and stuff like oh, that, yeah. right but then i had a child and i and i loved horror movies and horror oh, you and, watch and, and i can't now I, I find it really especially if there's a child in there or animals i get really distraught I can't do it, but I still still do love like the zombie stuff and things like that. So um, and the Nordic dramas, even though they're mm-hmm. dubbed or they're, you know, they've got the. Oh, dubbed, yeah. Love those. Um, but Motherland, I really yes. like. Um, I'm watching the Komsky Method at the moment with Michael. Douglas. Oh, me too. Yeah. And uh, Schitt's Creek was hilarious. Yes, love it that. Was hilarious, um, yeah. The Last Kingdom, because, you know, and, and Nightfall, I like a bit of uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, Border Town was good. That's a Nordic one, and um, but there are so many to mention, and I'm waiting for the next season um, of a lot of them as well. But I do have, and we mentioned Car Crash TV. I do have my guilty pleasures. My husband hates oh, yeah. when I put them on, so I watch them when I'm like doing um, admin stuff up here in the office late at night. So like Below Deck. I, I watched Below Deck last night. <laughs> Made in Chelsea and Vanderpump yeah. Rules and just you know oh, yeah. stuff like that. I've I've actually now because the cast of um, The Only Way of Essex has got so yeah. young. I can't. I just I can't. Oh yeah, there is a tipping point, isn't there? Yeah, and I've and this this season I've tipped over that point. So I'm now um yeah. So anything like that, I'm just like I get invested in those. My husband's like, oh, yeah. This it's just it's so funny with lockdown that's the first conversation people go to because everyone's just been locked in their house and my husband joked to me the other week that he'd finished Netflix (laughs) 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 it's because we've been at home for so long so yeah always interesting we do get to that point though don't we that we're scrolling through and you know we've got Amazon Prime Now TV Netflix um oh god whatever else and, and BT Vision and you go through all these things and you're like there's nothing on TV no, no, nothing to no. watch. And you're like, I bet there really is, but yeah. Oh. No, please the will, don't you? What was what was the most? I think from the pandemic, the most eye-opening thing that I watched was it. Um, oh, is it Tiger King? No. Is it oh, Tiger, Tiger King. King. Yeah. I mean, honestly, everyone was talking about it, and it took me a few weeks to to watch it, and I was like, <laughs> Yeah, no, it was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Oh, I have so, so enjoyed chatting to you. Oh, today. me it's too. It's brilliant. Fun. There's definitely loads more that we can have these different podcasts about and have chats about. There's things that you've said that I've been like, I can have a separate discussion with Juliet about this. So I'm like, <laughs> next conference, I'll be like, right, Juliet, let's go. Let's go for dinner. So hopefully enough work stuff and not just, there was some kind of personal stuff as well. Oh, but always got to have that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no absolutely really important and I think it's really interesting to see how you started your career how you've remained in the same organization but how you've moved around and also how you're inspiring and continuing to inspire your progression now with um, different types of education aspects mm-hmm. that you're doing and um, where potentially that's going to lead and I think one of my key takeaways was how you're adapting yourself to continue to be very valuable for yourself as well as your organization but also to have um key skills that are sustainable for future yeah years. yeah but you know and potentially to pivot into other industries if i needed to i think because you have to think about what's next don't you you don't want to peak when you're in your late 30s you want yeah. to be 
life beyond that so oh yeah but it's it is scary isn't it you go through that going through that redundancy process and it does take it out of you and um yeah I think I'm really um in awe of you going out on on your own and building your own business I think it's amazing but um, it's frightening but it's um but it's you know it's been really worth it and sometimes it's the best thing to do yeah and I think one of the things I love the most about it is the people that I've met that I would have never have met that are now clients and also friends Mm. wonderful wonderful people and the fact that I feel very privileged as well when I get involved in certain projects and I'm asked my opinion and I'm asked to help on certain things the information that I absorb and the stuff that I'm learning from these organizations is incredible and when I can pass that on to others I'm working with and I can continue that learning and we can stop people making the same mistakes through lessons learned that others are doing but be able to facilitate those conversations because often you know everything's very closed and very confidential but to do it in a way that you're not um, talking about anything that you shouldn't but saying mm-hmm. have you thought about doing it like this instead because um that I've known that that not to work in the past for example stuff like that yeah. and when you see people just progressing um it's wonderful we are so lucky in this industry don't you ever leave this industry <laughs> it's big enough to do so many different things yeah. like, you know when I talked about ProQuest earlier and Clarivate Analytics that's like a whole other and the publishing yeah. industry is um you know it's gone through change before I think people thought the internet would be the end of publishing and it obviously wasn't so we'll continue to deal with the challenges and keep bouncing back I would have thought who knows where we're going to be in 10 years time and what the yeah. industry is going to look like it's, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be amazing great. pace of change isn't it absolutely incredible absolutely incredible and we're working such a technology driven environment yeah. that it has to be so fast paced for us it's like we said earlier it's really hard to keep up yeah it really <laughs> we is. do we get but well we do our best <laughs> amazing oh Juliet, thank you so so much oh, for no problem time to talk to us today mm-hmm.